0: And hello everyone. My name is Jonathan Dornbush, and this is Podcast Beyond episode 639 of IGN's Weekly PlayStation Show. I'm joined this by Max Scoville. Hello. And Tom Reno
1: Mark? I-, I like that. Good guess, but no, no.
0: Thank you. It's on brand for this week because of course we're going to be talking about Final Fantasy 7 remake for most of the show. That is going to be what we're talking about. Don't worry. We're keeping it spoiler-free. I know it came out early in some parts of the world. Isn't that fun? But we will be keeping this conversation spoiler-free since it is not out worldwide yet. And we'll go into spoilers at a later date. But before we get to all of the FF7 talk, we have breaking news literally as we were starting to record this episode. Finally, it didn't happen after we recorded
2: That's. I mean, um, that's a step in the right direction, but this is that running theme that we have on this show of like, you know, we record an episode, and they're like, "Oh, by the way, you know, this, here's this thing's happening, or this is delayed, or here's the first picture of this." But what is it? Seventeen minutes ago, we've got. The-
0: yeah, it, it literally Less. was like on the dot as we were gonna start recording. It's hilarious. Uh, and b- before I get to that, actually, as you reminded me, Max, we did, Brian and I recorded a second episode last week, which if you haven't heard since it was released late on Friday, go back and listen to that if you want our thoughts and opinions on The Last of Us Part 2 and Iron Man VR delay. We're not going to dive into that really here uh, since we did that episode, but go check it out. It was... um A a darker episode, but uh, we mind our way through our feelings on all that stuff. But of course, the breaking news here is the DualShock 5 has been revealed and it is not called the DualShock 5. Uh, Sony is switching things up for the first time since the... um, Ill-chosen boomerang controller for the PS3, which never came out. Um, but we are getting what is being called the DualSense. Uh, I'm reading everything off the PlayStation blog because again, this literally just happened. Um, so we're still getting our story up on IGN. But this is the new controller for the PS5. It's called the DualSense, it is not called the DualShock. Um, and it is going to be coming for the PS5. It is a new wireless game controller, so it won't be uh with a cord. You don't have to worry about sitting two feet from your television. But it, uh, it has a somewhat dual shock design, if not a, quite a bit of a departure. So we'll talk about, I guess, the design of it first. It's, um, if you haven't seen it or if you're well, listening well, to
2: the I, I haven't seen it yet. I was yeah. going to wait for you guys. So I was going to do it on the show. That was going to be the All nice right. surprise. Tom's, Tom Goat. peaked.
0: All Goat. right, I'm going to do Goat. it. i like, can do it. Blog.
2: This is so exciting.
0: Here we go. The grand about, I wrote, reveal. I wrote for Max.
2: PlayStation. I wrote PlayStation bug by. Oh my lord! What is that? <laughs> what is that? That is the oh. DualSense oh. Max.
1: It looks like the. It looks like a portal turret. Yeah. yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, that's my. That's my first thought. Is it looks like something out of Portal?
0: Yeah. So it is essentially a dual colored. The bulk of it is white, including where the touchpad on the DualShock Four is, along with the two sides of it where the Uh, d-pad and then the face buttons are is all white pretty much uh then where the analog sticks are which are still um symmetrical they're still aligned it's not offset they are uh on a black part of the controller that also includes instead of a circular button just a button that is outlined to look like the playstation logo it is not even like encased in a circle or anything it's just that logo Um, there is what looks like a microphone port below that, and we'll get to that bit in a second, along with a speaker above it, so a speaker is returning. Um, And then sort of offsetting where the touchpad of the DualShock 4 is, it's more of a, like, I guess a rhombus. It's like a rhombus shape in the middle, an upside-down rhombus, if I remember geometry well. Uh, There is the blue light that is sort of, I guess, you know, on the front back of your DualShock 4. I have one right next to me. That light is now on the face of your DualShock. It is sort of on the sides of where the touchpad would normally Yeah,
1: wow. that touchpad, the touchpad looks like totally where it's just fl- basically flush on the DualShock 4. It looks like it's actually got sort of like grooves on the side and like a little bit of groove separation on the top of the controller, too. It's like actually sort of almost a different piece.
0: Yeah, and uh, you'll notice, so the two buttons to the sides of the touchpad, if you are, if you don't have a photo by you, go check one out. Um, the one to the right of it, which is normally the options button, has sort of the three lines, which the Xbox One controller has. And then the one to the left, which is the share button on the DualShock 4, has these three lines going vertically. Uh, according to the PlayStation blog, it is no longer the share button. Um, it is, though all share functionality will return, essentially, it is now a new create button. Uh, according to the playstation bog, blog not the bog they're not in the forest uh with create we're once again pioneering new ways for players to create epic gameplay content to share with the world or just to enjoy for themselves we'll have more details as this feature as we get closer to launch my guess is they've seen how well gifs on twitter do for god of war and spider-man we're like what if we just let everyone do that uh suny legend of course one of the most prolific people on twitter doing that a lot of people have gotten in on that game but seems like they're going to just build that into you know a quick button press as opposed to going into like share play on your ps4 or anything like that
1: Man. yeah that that's definitely what it sounds like to me as well or something that jumps to mind is like maybe they'll add more functionality like super smash brothers ultimate has where you can actually like combine clips or mix screenshots into clips and it won't just be like here's a here's a clip i took let me post it but like actually like like some light sort of combination editing sort of tools as well that's that's kind of where my head goes at least speculation wise yeah
2: is there any mention of back paddle stuff or secondary Um, buttons
1: they do talk about that and there are some photos
0: the back further down the PlayStation blog post, but essentially they talked about, and the reason for the controller being called DualSense, is they wanted to really add in this functionality of the adaptive triggers, um, as well as the ability to give you sensory feedback. So um, with adaptive triggers, I'm reading straight from the blog post, we had to consider how the components would fit into the hardware without giving it a bulky feeling. Um, the designers were then able to draw the lines of how the exterior of the controller would look and feel, with a challenge of making the controller feel, feel smaller than it really looks. So they've changed the angle of the hand triggers and also made some subtle updates to the grip. Um, and so the important note here, we also took thoughtful consideration into ways to maintain a strong battery life and to lessen the weight of the controller as much as possible as new features were added. So they are aware your DualShock dies in a day. <clears throat>
1: that that line too about uh making it feel smaller than it looks is really really interesting because that was the first thing that came to my mind when i looked at this was it it looks bulkier it looks wider it looks thicker and that that's not necessarily like a bad thing in my eyes because the dualshock is kind of the slimmer option so like it had some room to grow but it's interesting to hear that they're very intentionally saying in this post like yeah we know this looks bigger but it's ideally not going to feel that way at least to some extent like that's that's very i think heads up of them to to get in front of that
0: yeah especially that the i like i think everyone's in agreement Fox the dual shock four is the best dual shock that they've put out uh feel-wise and so obviously they don't want to stray too far from what worked but yeah i i agree it did look surprisingly uh max what were you gonna
2: i'm just i'm just very surprised i guess like I think that the two-tone thing is really what threw me for a loop.
0: So they, they actually talk about the colors in the block. Thank you for that segue. That was just about what I was going to get to. Um, as you can see, we went with a different direction than just a single color this time and decided on a two-tone design. Uh, additionally, we changed the be- position of the light bar that will give it an extra pop on DualShock 4. It set on the top of the controller. Now it sits on the sides of the touchpad. So it is still a touchpad. Um, they didn't really talk about like the decision behind that, but at least what I think this means and I've seen a lot of people speculating I assume the console will if not totally be white feature significantly the color white at launch
1: as an owner of a uh white ps4 pro I am totally on board with this because I like the the look of the white controller I really like the look of this controller actually um and obviously, you know, eventually it's going to be whatever color you want it to be. It's not like this is going to be the be all end all of, of how no, this I, I think
2: there's looks. going to be part like part of it is going to be the color you want it to be. And then the other part will be some other color you don't want it to be. I think it's always <laughs> going to be one of those like, you know, what? just keeps I keep just keeps jumping out of me is the, the front of it looks like uh, what's what's that? What's that inflatable man from Big Hero 6?
0: Oh, Baymax. <laughs> it yeah. looks like
2: it, it looks like if Baymax was wearing a spaghetti strap tank top.
1: or i i I already saw i already saw our own uh dan stapleton our executive reviews editor at ign post a picture of eva from from wally right like kind of looks like eva Mm -hmm. a little bit it's got that sci-fi design like very very it
2: it looks like one of those controllers that you see in a video game and you're like i know you're trying to make a playstation controller but i know what those look like that's not what that looks like (laughs) this looks like this looks like a PlayStation controller in a David Cage game. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm kind of okay with that. Like, I think you hit the
1: nail on the head.
0: Is, yeah, is it just I would me?
1: Sorry, it's, go ahead. Sorry, is it just me or do the face buttons look like they're really like far apart from each other? Like the D-pad looks pretty close compared to those face buttons. They they look very separated, but maybe Honestly, that's. Honestly,
0: just... it, it might be like the color and the shape of that part of it. Because if you look at like a dual I with me if you look at it because the yeah. face buttons are enclosed in a circle i think that sort of naturally makes you think they are pretty close um yeah that's
1: fair that's so fair I wouldn't,
0: I wouldn't be surprised if it's essentially identical size wise because mm-hmm. uh, the d-pad looks to be identical and that's probably just the choice to keep like the rather than like offset anything and add more grooves they just liked that smooth sleek design because it doesn't yeah. it looks futuristic like uh in the podcast beyond group uh dan cool has made ps5 designs in dreams yeah. i wouldn't have been shocked if he posted this design
2: <laughs> yeah this looks like it this looks like it was made in dreams i love it
0: yeah.
2: i like oh, i i really like the uh the playstation button being like the actual shape
0: Me yeah it's cool i always dig that sort of thing um and it, you can see on the back the um the charging port in the back it seems to be uh which we know they should changing to USB-C believe, for charging them which is a much needed change yes. um we also are seeing apologies if you can hear my dog barking um never apologize they do for that also, he, he also mentioned they're adding in a built-in microphone array which will enable players to easily chat with friends without a headset um Ooh. but of course if you're planning to chat for a longer period than just a quick chat it's good to have that headset handy so this isn't i think intended to be like a you know, while you're in the middle of a three-hour Destiny raid, chatting with your friends via your controller and being like, hey, are you, are you going down the right hall? Probably not looking for it to be like that. But to me, this sort of links into the more of what I imagine there, like the evolution of share to whatever create is. They probably want the interactions between people to both be like long-term things, like chatting with someone for a three-hour game session, or chatting really quickly with someone like on... I can jump on Discord and talk to you for two minutes. I can talk to, on Google Hangouts with you for thirty seconds, and then we can hop off. They might want something similar.
2: I would, I would love it if they integrated uh, voiceover into sharing clips.
0: Yeah, that would be really cool.
2: Like to be able to be like, I'm doing a thing, They'd be like, upload it. There's like thirty second clip me falling over or something. And just that's that's like people would use the hell out of that.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I wonder if there's going to be.
2: I wonder if there's going to be TikTok integration.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, there's like last integration with ign.com.
2: Yeah, I mean, last time around, there was like, they were like, this is going to go to Twitch, this is going to go to YouTube, this is going go to Twitter, this is going go to Facebook, and it's like, those were all the big things now. And there's like a bunch of other weird little, you know, weird little things you can post your stuff onto. So to have, you know, a dedicated button to just post that would be
0: fun, it would be a pretty smart thing. Yeah, you know- uh, I also want to point out sorry just a real quick yeah, little please. chain from the dual uh and all credit to kbabs on twitter who tweeted this at me you'll notice the uh both the triggers and the shoulder buttons the l1 and l2 r1 r2 uh they moved the um labeling to the like inside corners basically <laughs> they're not just like flush in the middle of it um just like small little design choices here and there that they're starting to change. Uh, but anyway, Tom, what were you going to say?
1: Well, there's this quote from Jim Ryan at the bottom that says, DualSense marks a radical departure from our previous controller offerings and captures just how strongly we feel about making a generational leap with PS5. And I think that's a really interesting thing because, and I don't mean to throw shade at the Series X or Microsoft here, but like it's undeniable that the the reveal of the controller for the Series X was nothing right like it it's a little bit different but they revealed it with the console design and like we're basically like yeah it's basically the same controller you're going to get used to it whereas what sony is doing with this is and and that's not again not to say that there's nothing new with the series x controller but like what sony is doing with this is really saying like this is going to be a new thing this is going to be a new console you should be excited about it it's going to be different it's not just going to be an iteration on what we've got and like Mm. that's that's actually genuinely very exciting for me going forward towards whatever the rest of the PlayStation five reveals are because like, it's really, really easy for this generation, this next generational jump to just feel like a kind of like an iteration on the last one. And, and I feel like Sony is very intentionally being like, we don't want to do that. Like we want this to feel like a new generation.
2: Interesting. I, I definitely like i I see what you mean about that. There's a certain kind of pageantry to that, and Sony's also been sort of conservative with with any kind of tweaks to the p s five controller. There was like that one sort of half step upgrade where it had like the additional light bar uh, and I don't know if there's anything really that different about it, but you look at the xbox controller and they've I think they've done like they did one sort of tweak like that, and then then there's the the pro series controllers, and then on top of that, there's the whole adaptive uh you know accessibility pack that they've been putting out so like they've been i think they have a very different approach and it's much more kind of i mean to have like to have a controller that has sequels um in one generation not just like a dual shock one two three etc uh it is but i see what you mean this this is totally like this is this is a a leap this is a this is a surprise
1: even if it's functionally very similar like they're they are making a statement by making it look this
0: yeah and i Tom, I totally agree with you because I do think this fits into, and it 's something i 've been trying to like wrap my head around um as sony 's approach because we 've had such a weird look at what their approach is this time around. but I think generation to generation we 're so used to seeing a great big visual leap, and I think yes, next gen is going to look prettier, but i don 't think it is going to be that like p s two to p s three jump or even the p s three to p s four jump we're not i just don't think it 's going to be near that given what PCs can show us these days, and even the Pro and Xbox uh, Series X, or 1X, excuse me. But I do think Sony, Sony is going for everything around the visuals, getting that same upgrade that we're used to. So, like, for them, audio is a really big deal. The create is a really big deal. Obviously, the, like, sensory feelings in the controller. Of course, all of this could prove to be gimmicks and worthless, and no one ends up using them. But at least, like, their mission statement seems to be everything about your game is evolving, not just how it looks. Well, yeah.
2: even just going back to Mark Cerny's very long PowerPoint presentation that I understood some of, uh, it sounded like they really were emphasizing that this is sort of, um, you know, it's it's less about sort of bells and whistles and s- selling sizzle and being more like, okay, this this machine will be able to like load your level faster and it'll be able to like have more. Like, we're going to talk about Final Fantasy VII Remake in a second. That is a beautiful, gorgeous, incredible, stunning game that has a whole lot of those sort of hidden loading screens where you have to go on an elevator or you have to shimmy through like a, a gap in a wall uh, or there's a very long animation of someone opening a door. And it's, you know, that's <laughs> that's that's the kind of smoke and mirrors that developers have had to use to like let the machine, you know, move ahead and, and you know, prepare the next part of the game. And if there's less of that, then I'm all for it, so.
0: Uh, yeah, before we move on from it, I will say, because we we haven't really talked about too much. And I think it's because we really can't know until we get a hold of it, but obviously this dual sense is made to uh, be more reactive and have those adaptive triggers that allow for more fine-tuning aiming and things like that, and uh, recreate the senses of your character on screen going through something that will then translate somehow to your controller. Um, Every now and then when Sony puts out something like this, devs kind of tease that they know more than they're saying, obviously, because they have dev kits, Um, but the founder and CTO of Ready at Dawn, who made the Order 1886, uh, Andrea Pasino tweeted just after the reveal, this controller is pure awesomeness. Just wait until you feel it, and I mean that literally. So obviously people, whether or not they're working on a PS5 title or have just gotten their hands on it, they're obviously pretty excited by whatever these new features are. And I'm I'm excited because this is, this is the first real thing of the PS5 we have seen. We haven't seen the console. We haven't seen PS5-exclusive games outside of a Godfall trailer. But this is like the first thing of the system being real.
2: I'm yeah. so excited! It's so good! Yeah. It's sun is shining! It's great! I'm so happy about this! <laughs> good. Finally, some friggin' news! It's great. Also, yeah. Yeah. real, real quick, I got um, Brian Altano's not here today for whatever reason, but uh, I got his uh, his immediate reaction to the controller. I can just hold this up here. It's just Borat in his <laughs> in his mankini. So do with that what you will.
0: Is nice. Um, and <laughs> with that. Uh, I don't know of any other way to segue out of this, um, but something I would think Borat would also think is nice is Final Fantasy VII Remake. He might even think it's great, as Tom Marks, our reviewer here, did um, for FF7 Remake. Uh, Tom, so you reviewed it. Uh, this is, of course, the first of however many entries in the FF7 Remake project we get. Whether it's two or 200, we'll find out in a decade, maybe. Um, this first entry, of course, as I mentioned at the top of the show, is. Spoiler free. Uh, we won't be diving into anything that happened in the original story wise that is important because I understand those are still spoilers for a lot of people, as well as anything new, really significantly story wise that hasn't been discussed in trailers and previews. Um. So, Tom,
1: although real talk. Even I've the trailers, like we're not going to also also not going to discuss a lot of the stuff that happens in the trailers, because like, man, Square Enix showed off like the final boss fight in one trailer and everyone was just like, OK, cool. Like, it's just I stopped
0: watching because I heard that. Yeah. like yeah. A Kojima.
2: I saw somebody say that they were like, this is like a Metal Gear trailer. In, in the, and I mean that in the best way. And I was like, well, I'm definitely not watching that because that means <laughs> yeah. I won't be surprised by the game. So the,
1: the trailers yeah, were that- basically just like teases that out of context don't really mean anything to people, but, like, if you know the context of the original game, we're just, like, very clearly endgame scenes from this game. So it was just, like, sort of weird. That's
0: hilarious. Um, well, so we'll be staying away from those spoilers, but obviously we will t- be talking a little bit. We'll focus on, I think, story, characters, and gameplay, sort of, like, the main facets, because Max has been playing quite a bit of it. Uh, you're about, like, a little over 20 hours in, right?
2: Uh, I think I just hit 22.
0: Okay, cool. I'm 10 or so, 12 I think I hit last night hours, and Tom, of course, beat the game. Uh, your playthrough capped out at around 33 when you beat it, right?
1: Uh, Yeah, it was, I think after the credits finished, my counter was at like 33 hours and 25 minutes or something like that. Cool. And there was still <laughs> some extra stuff I could be doing. We have a piece on IGN right now and on YouTube um, about like, how long it took four different editors at IGN to beat the game. And that ranges literally from 30 hours to 44. So like your mileage will vary in terms of how slow you go, how much of the like obsessive, how obsessive you get about side stuff, that sort of thing.
0: For sure. And so top level before we get into some of the nitty gritty Tom. of course I mentioned you called it great. You gave it Nate. Uh, just give me sort of like a high level view of your review, which people can go watch and read on IGMTube.com IGN. Tube.com/IGN.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, I think this game is really, really great. One of the things that, uh, should be noted, uh, is we, you know, we have switched to a 10 point scale, uh, this, this year in 2020, right? So like there's no 8.5 or any of that, but I did give it an eight and I gave it an editor's choice as well. So I, 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 like, it's useless to make this kind of comparison, but like it would be on the high end of the eights if we still had that world, but I think it's a really, really great game. Um, Yeah, uh, basically my quick thoughts on it, my summary is like the combat in this game is phenomenal. I think it is just some of the best action RPG combat I've played or some of the most like fun and like really makes you think sort of combat. Like you can't just mash square. You really have to be thinking about the enemies you're facing, thinking about the abilities you have, thinking about the abilities on your other characters when you want to switch to them. Like this game definitely uh, asks you to use the systems at your disposal in a way that a lot of other games are just like, oh, yeah, here's all these things, but really you can just, you can just hit square if you want to. Um, so I really, really love that part of it. It's obviously, I don't have to tell you this because you can see and hear it, but like mm-hmm. it is a gorgeous game. Cutscenes are wonderful. The music is like, if this, if this game is not on our short list for game of the year for best soundtrack this year, like, this year has been an insane year for music. Like it is that yeah. sort of situation. Um, so the music is phenomenal. The visual presentation is phenomenal. The story is really, really good for most of the parts, I think. Um, although the, and the writing can kind of, like the writing is, is good, but also very JRPG cliche at times. And I think it kind of, you just like go roll with that or you won't pretty much. Um Essentially, the only thing I, only things that really bugged me about the game are, they, like to in, in the process of making this a full JRPG of what was you know the first five-ish hours of the original game, they definitely added things that feel like nothing more than padding to me. Like there there are these side quest areas that basically like they're they're amusing but like they have you retread the same maps you've already been in, fighting the same enemies you've already fought a lot of the time. The stories these side quests tell are not really that interesting. And like, all that did was distract me from the main quest line, which when I was on the main quest line, I was almost always having an absolute blast. Um, And so like, it was this sort of switch up of like, or, or this like push and pull of like, the things I was doing was fun. The combat was always really fun, but occasionally it would just like kill its pacing with like, pointless JRPG things and like like very very like tropey things like i lost my like my cat somewhere in this town please go find them and it's like you're literally a terrorist blowing up like a city's power plants and like you're taking a break to go find cats like that is like it just didn't gel with me um but again not in a way that totally ruined my experience of the game it was it's still a really really great game um and then the other thing that bugged me, I will talk about less here because it's kind of getting more into story differences and story changes. And like, for the most part, what I'll say on that is like, I really, really loved that they added new things. Like I think a lot of the new stuff that they added was integral to the reason this game is so good. Like it really, really fleshed out a world that wasn't totally fleshed out before. Um, And then they also just add things because they wanted to add things that do not have any place in the story and feel very random. And like, both of those exist right like the additions can be good or bad and like yeah it, it it was hit and miss in that regard but overall once again i think it is a really really great art jrpg um and i don't think you need to be a fan of kingdom heart or kingdom Hearts. excuse me i don't think you need to be a fan of the original final fantasy 7 to really just like get into this game although jonathan i guess that is literally experience your experience so maybe you can tell me yourself he-
0: yeah, and I, I do want to get I think it's interesting the different perspectives through because Max, you've played the original, but you haven't in a while, correct or have
2: you- I so I, it's weird because I have like more familiarity and nostalgia for it than I realize, and I'm trying to figure out why because i never I never owned it as a kid. I watched my best friend play a lot of it. I was like really into it, but in like sort of a like a hardcore casual poor kid kind of way. Uh, and i I had my own file on his PlayStation, but I never like got all the way through it. Uh, and then, yeah. as an adult, I played like a good chunk of it on Vita, and then got sidetracked. And I think I went back recently on Switch and jumped back. So I'm like really familiar with this portion of the game. Uh, but it's weird because there's like, there's there's stuff in here that I, I I have like more more fondness for, more familiarity than I than I really expected. Um, but I'm I'm absolutely adoring it, and it's and it's I think I'm I'm familiar enough with the the overall like I know what happens in the story for the most part, and I'm sort of like. Like, I got that reference, you know, like, I'm kind of picking up little, you know, little, you know, nods and, and bits of foreshadowing and stuff. But uh, it's the weirdest thing about this game to me is that it's totally a Yakuza game. <laughs> like, I know you guys, you know, despite all of my all of my, you know, drum banging and and adoration for that series, haven't really gotten into it. But like, it's got the same exact uh weird disparity between like these incredibly polished super serious like main story moments and then these goofy ass side quests where they're like why don't you go find cats or like better play darts to kill some time or you know like (laughs) there's i mean and it's it's also there's a whole area that's basically the red light district which is like it like totally clicked and i'm like where have i seen like a burlesque show in a video game before i'm like oh yeah yakuza this is like very very similar but uh Everything Tom said about the the combat, I'm I'm right there with him on. It's, it's such, sorry, I'm just, I'm really excited about it.
0: No, no, that's, <laughs> yeah, I to I want I to jump into the combat for sure. And I'll just say like my perspective is Tom alluded. I, I never played the original FF7. I I've played the like opening Mako reactor bit, like the first 20, 30 minutes, I guess. Um, maybe three times in my life, just because I'm like, I should start this game and then I get sidetracked and never play it. So my experience with FF7 characters are largely through Kingdom Hearts, which I think adds an extra weird dimension coming to this game and seeing both how, knowing that Kingdom Hearts was influenced by Final Fantasy, obviously, but now seeing how Final Fantasy VII Remake is being influenced by what happened with Kingdom Hearts, I think there's a weird cyclical thing happening that we'll get into. Um, But yeah, so far I'm loving it. I'm about 12 hours in. Um, Like Tom said, I think whenever the story is like on focus and diving into like, A lot of character stuff, but like pushing you forward with momentum of like what's going on in this world and the focus of the avalanche group. Um, I dig all of that so much. Like I'm having such a blast with that. When it does slow down, I do think there's some good and definitely some boring that I'd rather not waste my time with. But I'm a completionist and I need to do every little thing the game offers me. Um, But yeah, I think let's start definitely with the combat because I do think it's so interesting um, as a like, as Tom was saying, it really forces you to use like every aspect of it that it introduces Um, it is this combination at least in the the main mode because there is the classic mode you can go into but um, the main mode is a mix of real-time action combat Uh, you can switch between your party members and you can also as you build up your atv bar you can pause time uh pretty slowly and then take your time to choose if you want to use a special ability or a spell or items which is crucial to figuring out how to manage all of that because each character has their own atb bar that you need to worry about um and like the key to victory often felt like making sure you were not letting those go unignored for me at least
1: yeah and and also making sure you're prioritizing like the characters you need at the right time and thinking ahead in that because your ai like when you're when you're not directly controlling a character the ai is like Fine. It's, like, pretty dumb and pretty simple, but the more crucial thing is that they won't use ATB, and they generate ATB way, way, way slower. So, like, if you know you're fighting an enemy that is, like, weak to lightning, let's say, and then you only have lightning on one character then like when you're getting into the position where you want to use lightning you need to proactively switch to that character so that you can generate ATB on them so that you can make sure you have that ready to go when you need to or like if a character is getting low you need to switch to your healer whoever has your healing materia to generate ATBs so that they can actually be healing in time to like before someone dies and like that's really cool that it it genuinely forces you to switch characters in a way that doesn't feel like frustrating because they're it's, all really interesting.
2: It's not annoying, which I think is really yeah. cool. And there's a, the whole thing completely changes with how materia gets implemented. Cause like you can grab uh, like I have a materia that's like a cure all, but it only, it only gets utilized by a character who's not being controlled. So like, if you equip that to one of your party members who's sort of running around helping you, then the second everyone else's HP gets low, they just do like, they do auto cure basically. Uh, and then conversely, there's another one that basically starts whoever has it off with like a partially filled ATV gauge. So if you're like, if you really want to have like, you know, somebody who's who's like, you can have like your healer. You can have your person who's there to just do like basically, you know, you know, run, keep it, keep things under cover. Like there's just there's a whole strategy there that I really that I'm really enjoying, and it's I'm typically don't enjoy micromanaging, and it doesn't feel like that. So that's yeah, yeah.
1: No, well, part yeah. of that. Is- Well if I may part of that is also just because of how flexible all those systems are in like fitting together because like because of the weapon system which we can talk about later but like you can really make any character good at using magic or any character good at dealing basic attacks or any character doing this and that and then give them the materia that like you want them to have and so it's really really flexible of like if you just want Cloud to be your healer Cloud can just be your, your healer and like it's kind of okay.
0: Yeah, I really like, as you were saying, flexibility, I think, nails it, um, that it offers you. And especially for me, like, the materia is a totally new concept because at least in, like, Kingdom Hearts version of it, because the spells are essentially the same, you es- you essentially just gain the upgrades as you go throughout that story. Like, fire eventually becomes fire and fireaga. But here it's like, no, your use of the materia increases the ability to use these better spells or to have a more maxed out uh, ATP bar as you go on. And I think, like both managing that you need to be constantly using these things to upgrade them, but also needing to understand some people may not need a certain materia for a little while and i will need to swap this out but come back to it. Like, there is a, it's a lot to manage, but it's fun to do so. Um, like, it always was exciting to have to keep track of all these things.
1: I will say that does get a little annoyingly unwieldy in what is, I think, to be fair, Final Fantasy VII tra- uh, tradition is, like... <laughs> The, the the it is it is light years easier to swap your materia and remake than in the original game, where you would have like someone leave your party and then to get the materia off of them, you would have to switch them into your party, take their materia off, switch them back out, and then reslot the material. Like, you don't have to do that, thankfully, which is really nice. But it is still annoying that like you won't, let's say you only have one of the materia that like scans people, or like one of that cure all materia, and then the person it was on leaves your party, and then you have to like swap it every time that happens. Like that stuff can get a little annoying, but like not really in any way that like totally dragged it down.
0: Yeah, um, absolutely, and I do want to transition a little bit with that stuff into the uh, equipment management that you were talking about. So essentially, like throughout the game. Your characters do gain new weapons that you can switch to, um, and they all, of course, have uh, AP that you can increase uh, different stats and various things when they're equipped um, that you unlock as you go throughout the game. Um, Tom, did you feel like you liked having to switch between weapons? Did you wish you could stay to one? Did you feel like if you did stay to one, the game was penalizing you?
1: I I actually thought thought the weapon upgrading was extremely clever, because every time it felt at least to me and i don't know what your guys experience is like every every character only has like roughly half a dozen weapons i don't know the ex- exact number but you're not going to find a ton of them which a made finding them feel really significant because they are really different from one, one another um, but more than just that like it they did a really good job of every time you found a new weapon for me it felt like almost always it was stronger than whatever i had and then after a little bit, after the up, you get a few more levels, it starts to mellow out. And then you would get another weapon that's stronger than whatever you have, and then it would mellow out. And, like, that was really, really cool to me because it meant that getting a weapon was always this, like, exciting, cool thing that you would switch to, and then you get this weapon ability from, which is really cool. And then, after you've kind of had that, like, honeymoon period of this new weapon, you could sort of switch to whatever tool actually you needed at the time. So, like, the iron... I think it's called the iron saber iron saber is like a little bit more defense oriented. Whereas the buster sword is like, you know, that has like linked material slots that are pretty useful and have like a little more rounded later, you find a weapon. That's kind of all about physical attack, right? One you find this all about like magic attack. And then there's that choice for every single character. And like, yeah, I thought the weapon upgrading was really, really cool because by the end of the game, you have sort of this like suite of weapons for each character and you're like, okay who do I want to be the physical attacker? Who do I want to be the magic attacker? Who do I want to focus more on these kind of support abilities? And you can pick what weapon you want for whatever party you have at the time and then swap materia to match. And like, that's really, really cool that at the end of the game, you can be like, hey, Cloud, you've been doing physical attack, but now I'm going to use you as my magic guy.
2: It's it's a really interesting system because like I feel like these characters have sort of a you know, pre-built class system surrounding them as it is. Uh, and then with sort of how you assign materia that changes things on some level, and then to the weapons almost become like a way of reassigning class because they have they all have their own you know skill trees and you all have skill points and there's something like wonderfully generous about how you, the skill points are sort of doled out where yeah. yeah you get skill points for every weapon regardless of what you're playing with
1: you don't uh, yeah you don't need to like grind your your Buster sword to make sure your Buster sword is the same level as your other weapons I'm glad yeah, so glad you got so nice. yeah.
2: no like I periodically so go nice into my I go into my inventory and it'll be like, oh, your buster sword has like, you know, 17 skill points to play around with. And I'm like, I haven't used that for, you know, nine hours. Like what, how, like, how did that happen? And so then I go in and I tweak it and I'm like, oh, I could totally like make this a defense heavy weapon, which it completely plays, that changes my stats and, and my play style, which is, it's just like, it it is sort of incentivizes like changing up your, you know, switching horses midstream and really changing your strategy, which is, I don't know, it's novel. It keeps it fresh.
0: Yeah, it definitely does. I really like it. I I love it, especially coming from, and I'm going to be making this comparison a lot, but coming from the Kingdom Hearts side of it, where you can get a bunch of different Keyblades after every world, usually, or there were others to get. Normally, it felt like once you found the couple that made the most sense for you, like there's only so many stats Sora could really focus on, so it was like, here's the best attack one, here's the best magic one, and I'm just going to upgrade those. Whereas here, yeah, I do find myself feeling okay to switch between or not feeling bad for ignoring one for a little bit because i know if i come back to it it'll still be really powerful like everything always feels useful which i really appreciate
1: and they give um, you a way to automate that system i never used it but like i i know di- like a couple like someone in the uk did like so you can if you don't want to be dealing with keeping the buster sword leveled, like you can just say okay just focus on attack and just give me all the attack upgrades and like yeah. i don't want to work.
2: It does attack, defense, or balance, which is great. Yeah. It's totally just like pick one, uh, and then if if you get completely sick of how your stuff works, you can you can just completely like reroll, basically.
1: Yeah, it, yeah. it's it's very flexible. I mean, that's that's just one of the things that I think stood out to me as a, a beaming highlight of the customization and the combat in this game is the absolute flexibility you have in terms of like play the way you want, build these characters the way you want. You don't like it? Okay, change your mind. Um, and I think that is so important because of how um, how much it, it changes your party without you, like, without your, your say, right? Like, this is something I never really, I didn't know going into the game, is, like, you will literally never choose the party you have. It yeah. It is always, 100% of the time, determined by where you are in the story. So you need to be able to make sure that, you can you can adjust to whatever you're given at any time and still be able to succeed and the systems that they give you totally let you do that
2: so i will say that i think one of the things
0: A small thing oh i was just gonna say a small thing that i think is nice about that uh party switching because even though it takes away the freedom of switching your party you can still make adjustments to the people who aren't present in your party while they're gone so once someone does come back in, you if you just did the upgrades already, you don't have to worry about their first fight just being a mess, which is, I appreciate that. Sorry, Max, what were you
2: say? I was going to say that it sort of structurally speaking, one thing that is really odd about this is it's, uh, it feels mostly pretty linear. Uh, and to have a, a, you know, an RPG that's theoretically about role playing, having you sort of mandatorily swap out party members in accordance with what the story is doing. And then, you know, to be like, oh, this, these characters that I hung out with for a minute are just not, that's, that feels weirdly dated, um, kind of especially in a situation where there's side quests and there's like different, you know, there's like such large areas, but it's, that's kind of, I think, sort of symptomatic of this being, you know, the weird, like double-edged sword of having to rebuild something from the ground up that's from 20 years ago, you know?
1: Yeah, and I will say, I don't think that they solved that problem very well. Because, like, it's weird going from Final Fantasy XV, which was this huge, insane freedom open world experience, to being, like, my favorite parts of remake were actually the linear parts. Um, But that's kind of how I felt. And I think one of the reasons is there's one of the, the solutions they found to that issue of its linearity, I don't think were very good. Because the way the side quests are... The side quests basically just aren't integrated into the game in any real way. It's like... Uh, and I don't think this is spoilery to say, like, basically, you'll arrive at an area that will have side quests. You're told literally the moment you get there how many side quests total there will be in that area, and then you are immediately given the choice to skip it entirely and move on. And if you do, it'll say, hey, you still got some side quests to do. If you leave now, you'll never be able to do these again. So, like, it's not like a proper open world side questy rpg it's literally giving you these moments of that inserted into a linear narrative and i think they feel disjointed as a result but not like in a way that totally ruins the game
2: it's really weird because i don't i don't hate them at all but it does feel like if you had like you're basically on this this fairly linear like field trip and periodically there are these sort of like i don't know the bus stops and everyone gets off and it's like all right you've got two hours to go do whatever you want be back here (laughs) at three you know and then you gotta come back and it's just and then it's back on the bus and you got to go to the next thing and it's all part of the itinerary. And, and I don't mind that re like the only, the only downside is that most of the side stuff is not really that imaginative, especially when compared to the incredibly weird, wonderful and fleshed out, you know, main campaign.
0: Yeah. And I do want to get to that stuff. It does feel like, uh, to that analogy, which I think is great. It feels like the most true thing to the, uh, buzzword wide linear that I've ever heard. Um, just because it goes like it goes linear, then it's wide, then it's linear again. But um, I do want to talk about that story, and I know uh, at least Max for you were running a little short on time because you have another recording after this. Um, so I do, I do want to get your thoughts on, especially as someone who's experienced the story before, um, the changes slash the you know growth that they've been able to introduce by spending more time with all of these characters in this region. How, how did this? How is the story playing for you so far?
2: All right. So it was initially really jarring. Um, I, it kind of rubbed me the wrong way at first because I think specifically like in my head, uh, and it, not even in my head, if you look at the original designs, if you look at the original concept art, like Final Fantasy VII was heavily cartoony and anime influenced. And then suddenly you have these like incredibly realistic, like pho- practically photorealistic renditions of human people who behave like anime characters in a, in a very like realistic, believable world that occasionally has stuff that just doesn't make sense in it. And it's got this, it's got some mental gymnastics you have to do to really, you know, kind of come around to it. But at the end of the day, it's got like a ton of charm and it's just really like, it, it manages to find those little things that I have like buried in my, you know, my, my brain from being in sixth grade. And like my, my memories of how, uh, you know, Walmart it looked or how like, you know, the the honeybee stuff was and like how my imagination made it seem back in like 1997. And then being like, Okay. Well, no, we actually spent time bringing that to life with so much polish and so much like you know AAA magic on top, and it's just um, I, I cannot think of the last time a game has like really increasingly sucked me in. Like every every few beats, something new will happen, and I'll be like, I'll be like, oh, this is pretty good. And there'll be like sort of a slump, you know? It's again one of those sort of like side quest things, and then something else will happen, and I'll just completely be reenthused by it, and it's really. It's, it's really endearing and it's, it's, I'm completely ride or die for it at this point.
1: (laughs) Even, even if they, any, any slight stumbles that they may have made with either story changes or character changes or character writing, any of that. One thing I think is undeniable that you touched on is like, man, did they make Midgar well, right? Like they, they made this city exactly how you imagined it in the original times a billion in like the best possible way.
0: So unfortunately, Max had to jump out for another recording, but he'll be back on uh, next week's show. And we'll, of course, be talking about FF7 in the weeks to come. It's the biggest game out this month, so we'll be talking about it plenty. But Tom, while I still have you, I want to dive in a little bit on your thoughts on the story and stuff uh, and character things, um, both... Because as you were saying, and the train is going by me, so maybe that'll drown out all my thoughts. Um, the world that they've created, like Midgar, is so cool, and I love exploring it, and I love the change between like the top world and the slums underneath, um, and the way they bring that all together. I really, really have been enjoying, in these first few hours, again, not knowing anything about this game, that one, it essentially feels like this game is secretly about who Cloud is going to date in the end, and that's really the main storyline. Um, and two i really like the focus on biggs wedge and jesse who my guess is since most people don't talk about them aren't that important in the original game but this feels like it puts a lot of emphasis on them and i really i really like that
1: yeah the the inclusion in the kind of expansion of biggs wedge and jesse is really really cool not like it's not that they're m- they're minor characters in the original just because they're basically only in midgar right so like the Midgar section of the game is so short that you know you just you just don't get a lot of time with them like you don't really get a lot of much time with for character development for any of the characters in the original game in this section of it um but yeah learning more about Jesse and Viggs and Wedge is just like it's kind of a dream right like to see that these these really simple blocky dudes are actually these like they have very distinct personalities and they have character to them that, that you didn't know existed at all in the original.
0: Yeah. I, I think some of the best stuff that at least I can tell is most likely the been in service to fleshing out these characters. And I think well, that's been really great. Um, I, I do sort of love, I will be don't believe, episode, but when the demo came out, we talked about like the initial look at essentially, um, that group, as well as Cloud and Barrett, and we talked about. I I didn't really dig Cloud or Barrett from the demo. Like I didn't really care about either of them because um, they suck. Spoiling, yeah, they're, they're not great in that first <laughs> in, hour. But in I, that I, first I, hour, they're assholes. <laughs> like they're, they're yeah, just the worst. They're not great, and it's really been funny going on this journey for the first time and experiencing with, especially those two, but I think like the main cast in general that. Uh, and we can get to it in a little bit, even though I think a lot of the writing is not good. I do think the acting and the intention behind what is written is really good. And you see these characters actually develop and going on a journey. And yes, that's sort of like a storytelling 101 thing. Characters should go through development. But like to see it spelled out in this way in this world is really been... like One of the highlights for me is seeing sort of the changes and the layers to characters like Barrett or cloud or even wedge Jesse and Bit,
1: and that's really important that they have that in there and that they succeeded to even to use someone who's who's not really familiar with their original characterization because like Barrett Barrett basically doesn't have any character development in the original first five hours of Final Fantasy seven he like, doesn't really get any moment to express who he is besides save the planet, hate Shinra until like probably about eight hours into the original. I don't remember exactly where it is, but that's the moment where you start sort of seeing who he actually is as a person. And same with like Tifa gets basically nothing too in those opening hours. And like, it's, it's really, it was really, really, really important to me that this game didn't just, roll with that and just be like you know what we'll talk about them later like the fact that these characters actually have emotional hooks and reasons for you to care about them ways they change goals that they have within the story like that's that's really really important and I think they that aspect of it you're right like they really did make you actually care about these people and I'm very very glad about it because <laughs> it would have been faster yeah. yeah. if they didn't
0: me too like i went so much into this game hearing basically like oh who who do you like better tifa or Aerith? who should cloud be with and i'm like honestly in the beginning of the game i didn't like cloud i didn't really care about tifa or Aerith. So, uh jesse is best girl the end there is no contest and i do like i've liked tifa and Aerith more as the game goes on but i do want to i love jesse's like performance and what they've done with that character and i think like her outward nature against clouds like i don't know how to be a human sometimes nest is great he's such a dork he's, he's so funny he, he's such a dork and it is such a funny guy who ever known as like the strong type who i presumed saves the world in the original is such a little dweeb sometimes
1: <laughs> yes there's a whole bit i won't spoil but there's a very funny bit later with like him basically learning like how to high five that's just like just so cute like it's just very they did a very good job of making this character that like you said is like pretty one note in his sort of like uhness, ness and now he's like oh yeah this is actually like a fun guy who, who has to warm over time yeah
0: yeah they're they're showing vulnerability to associate with final fantasy normally and again that experience with it um and more so does on the kingdom heart side but i'm glad to see that vulnerability seem to shine through with a lot of the characters and i even love some of the smaller ones of the show but the turks like reno and um his partner rude um, i've really loved the interactions with the two of them uh even though they are basically as we've said to each other offline organization 13 but in different rooms.
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Although um, less less so in their um kind of like structure. Co- yeah, the structure and convolution, I would say they're they're like a branch of Shinra and like you can at least just sort of understand that pretty easily. Yeah, yeah, there's
0: the, we haven't gotten to any secrets of who they actually are yet um because they are actually a deceased human. But um, <laughs> right. You know, that's something we get to. Uh, i'm curious to see where remake part two goes but no um i do really like what they've been doing I, I did want to talk a little bit about i guess the kingdom heartsification maybe of it because to me there is a lot here with it and you did have a line in your review that i know some people picked out um but i do think is worth like drilling down a little bit more on what you meant feel pretty similarly is um I do see a lot of parallels, obviously, to Tetsuya Nomura, who's been the franchise director of Kingdom Hearts, directed FF7 Remake. He was not the director on the original FF7, but was an individual character designer. Um, I might have to look up that exact credit, but he was involved in the original game. So obviously he's had a longstanding history with this game, but this is sort of his like top-down directorial view with this new team. Um, I definitely noticed some things that I do feel like would work better in a Kingdom Hearts game. And I do think that's the writing because um, I think the the grittiness and realism of this, for all of that, that I think really works well and comes across so well, they are talking still like they're Kingdom Hearts characters to me sometimes. Like they are talking a lot in ways that don't feel quite human and are a bit like JRPG cliche but like just don't quite translate to such a real dark, dim world to me. Whereas it would if, mickey mouse was standing there and you were in that um and for me i think some of the writing like loses step occasionally because of that but i do still think that the performances and the work being done with it overall de- definitely shines through but d- did you want to talk a little bit about what that comment in your review because i know it was a little other yeah
1: the the main issue i had is like I, again i do not have a problem with them adding new stuff to this game and to this story as much as some super fans might. Like, I think that they do a really good job of adding entirely new sequences that do a phenomenal job of, of giving you a better perspective and understanding of either its characters or the world or the villains or the stakes, whatever, right? Like, I think they do a really good job of that um, at times. And then I think at other times, they add... I I don't know what the right word is like mystery. They add uh, unanswered questions for essentially the sake of like hooking you along and only letting the people who are interested in talking about it on Reddit in extreme like theory detail, like to make any heads or tails of it. And I don't, I don't think that's fair. Like, yeah, It feels out of place when you're pitching this game as a remake to add plot points. And again, I won't spoil anything, but to add plot points that have such a significant impact on the story and then just walk away from the table without explaining them. Like that to me, that's why I described it as Kingdom Hearts BS in my review, because like, yeah. it's not just convoluted complexity right like c- convoluted complexity is one thing that kingdom hearts is known for but the thing that really bugs me and i love kingdom hearts games i really do but the thing that really bugs me about the way kingdom hearts and final fantasy 7 remake at times wields complexity and kind of like these unanswered questions is this expectation that you should just roll with it and that you shouldn't question it and if you don't get it that's on you and not the game, and like Final Fantasy VII remake does that in places where the original Final Fantasy VII did not, and it bugged yeah. the heck out of me. Like yeah. I don't, I don't like this idea that they can just be like, yeah, here's here's this plot point about this certain character or this certain thing, and then it doesn't really answer the question. It actually brings up a lot more questions and then they just move on and they act like you got it. And if you don't got it, you feel stupid. And why don't you get it? And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not your fault. That's the game's fault. And like, that's not okay. Complexity and unanswered questions does not equal mystery and intrigue, right? Like those aren't the two same things and you you can't treat them that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's a a fine line between stuff that like... Even in a Kingdom Hearts game where, like, the secret ending that they show you at the end, you know that potentially supposed to be mysterious and supposed to set up a sequel. And there's, like, an intention that what you're seeing there you won't fully understand until the next game. And that's okay, because that's how that is designed and conveyed. But in the middle of a story in Kingdom Hearts, when someone mentions a character that you've never heard and it's because you didn't play the three other side games or Kingdom Hearts Union Cross the mobile game, it shouldn't be the player feeling bad.
1: Yeah, it's um, so, yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty much that. And, like, there there's this kind of other thing that, like, conversation that gets muddled with that, too, where it's like some people are going to be fine with that to a certain extent because, you know, like, changing the story is you're either going to be cool with it or you're not, right? Like, you're either going to be okay that they're they're forging their own path with this game, or you're gonna be a diehard original fan who's like, all I wanted was a remake, and like, all I wanted was the original story being told. And like, I think I kind of came—I—I I, I don't mind the new stuff, but I came down on that side of the fence for parts of it where it was just like, man, like you—you you could have told a really good story that felt complete enough, even ending at the end of Midgar if you wanted to, without all of this stuff, and you just added it because you wanted to and not because it served the story better not because it elevated the source material not because fans wanted it like you literally just added it because because this is what you wanted and for better or worse and honestly i think most of the time that stuff the really really messy stuff in it comes off as worse and it's a bummer like it doesn't offend yeah. me deeply it's just like you get to these parts occasionally where you're just like what what is going on like what are you doing like come on
0: <laughs> yeah because overall like as you've said during as you state in your review you really enjoy that character play level. Um, and as someone who didn't play that stuff but can kind of sense what is new i totally agree that i think a lot of core changes do really work super well and have me excited for whatever episode, part, the sequel, whatever to Um, but it it is weird going into you playing through this game right now and people's and obviously, you've played not sort of knowing what the scope of the next entry is going to be when we expect that entry, what the scope of this entire project looks like. like did you leave it satisfied, I guess, as a experience on it? like if if part two doesn't come for five years, would you be? okay with this as
1: a thing yes and no i came away mixed on that honestly like it it is a great game on its own right right you can buy this game you can play this game you can play it through you can do some extra stuff after the credits roll sort of thing like if you want to go back and do side quests you missed or something like that and you'll be totally satisfied it's a really really fun rpg um it is not a contained story it is not A beginning middle and end of a thing that really really tells a compelling story that is just fact it is not like it's unfortunate but like i don't think that that fact sours the experience of playing through it at all but it definitely is like very transparently set up for whatever the next thing is and like yeah it was always gonna be that that's not surprising to me um i am a little disappointed that like i did i'm not going to talk about the end of the game but it did leave a little bit of a sour taste on my mouth i'm a little bit i'm really interested to see where they go from here and i'm just like like i'm i want to play whatever the next one is and it it just like i guess this is the best way to put it when they said that the original that this remake was just going to be the midgar section and that they were going to make more games that go past that everyone was like that's kind of weird i wonder why they're doing that and like the kind of ways it could have fallen is they had a good idea for why to do that or they didn't. And they just didn't <laughs> like they, this could have been a game where they cut out literally half the filler that they added to this part of the game and then made it longer and made it stretch past Midgard to maybe like the end of the first disc on PlayStation one is what a lot of people were saying and it would have been fine right like they absolutely could have made this differently and they did not justify that sort of like just like insertion of stuff for the sake of insertion of stuff um for sure sometimes they did and other times it's just like mm, you you really really didn't need to do that and like again yeah. it does not make this game any less fun to play but like for sure it's just kind of weird
0: yeah no that's uh, that's always a thing i have the- Television pretty regularly, and things were like a bad finale doesn't make the amazing episodes that came before it bad episodes. But it does depend of whether or not those episodes were they stood the you know test of time, whether they, yeah. as you know, self contained things still work. So I think it will be a really interesting discussion that we hopefully can get into in deeper people have their hands on it, yeah, um, and go a little further in. But um, as we I'm said also at the top.
1: Sorry, real quick ahead. i'm i'm also excited too like like the, the, one of the ways i've been thinking about it is like i'm excited for whatever the next game is going to be like i i want to play it but like thinking farther ahead like th- let's let's say thinking in 10 years if the series is completely done right looking back on it if i just want to play through the final fantasy 7 remake series like this first game is going to drag right like you're going to yeah. get to it and you're going to be like man, there's a lot of stuff in this that I just don't want to be replaying right now. And, like, that doesn't yeah. that doesn't influence my impressions of my in my review or anything. Yeah, but, course. like, thinking yeah. about it now, I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to want to do, like, X mission, like, again, like, when I just know what's after it. Like, come on.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, I can't wait for the FF7 remake remake on the PS7 uh, years down the line. But, uh, gut PS7 check if you is had awesome. to... Yeah, uh, I... Far, this is a very far-out predictor question, but I just I was thinking about as we were talking, what comes next? Final Fantasy 16 or remake part?
1: Oh, I hate that question. (laughs) Uh, That question is is a cursed, cursed question that we are now all forced to consider. Um, I think it goes one of two ways that I don't know the answer to yet. I think either they've been cooking up the second part of this game for much longer than they've let on because they have been very secretive and we'll get it within the next two years or we're going to get a Final Fantasy 16 in the meantime and this will come out for four or five. And I genuinely don't know which way it's going to go. Um, but I think that's, that's kind of the vibe I get is either they've got more they aren't telling us about or they do not.
0: <laughs> yeah, it'll be very interesting to see where things go from- um, but for now, FF7 Remake is what we have to play, and Max and myself, we did or are having a really great time with it, and we definitely are uh, checking it out. Obviously, check out Tom's full written review on IGN and the video review, which was by Mike Wynn from our video team. Uh, that's on IGN as well as YouTube slash IGN, so you can check it out there as well. And if you just want to ask Tom deep lore questions, uh, just hit him up on twitter and he'll be happy to answer those at any time of the um but i think we'll wrap up the show there since we're running uh, but thank you Tom for joining me for this episode and for the talk. Uh, very excited to keep talking once i can talk to you about later to talk. obviously if you've been playing ff7 cuz you're in one of those parts of the world that have it already or you are starting to play it this weekend after this episode is out Write in with some of your opinions and thoughts on it. You can write into beyond at ign.com or you can write in the comments on ign or on YouTube. Uh, normally, episodes of Beyond go live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific at beyond.ign.com, youtube.com/slash Beyond, and all your favorite podcast services around the world. Uh, I want to thank Red, our producer, for sitting through all of us talking uh, about this game. Hopefully, he still wants to play it after we have talked at him for an hour while he had to be silent and couldn't just be playing himself during the um but if you're listening at home, thank you so much for watching or listening to this episode. Uh we hope you're safe, we hope you're well, and always beyond. Beyond.